in Numbers chapter 32. While you're turning there, I want to say it. It's good to have the Pottingers with us, Brother and Sister Pottinger, evangelist, uh, just touching base, visiting here with us tonight. And I uh, hope to get to know them a little better um, before the service is over with. And then also Laddie Culverhouse, good to have him uh, with us here tonight. Uh, certainly appreciate him being here. And um, it's good to see the Sanders back with us. And um, I uh, <clears throat> thank the Lord that you're here tonight. And um, I believe the Lord has... laid something on my mind and spirit uh, that I pray is going to be an encouragement uh, to you and I'm going to read a scripture that you probably have heard um, somebody quote but you may not have known uh, where it was at you probably read it uh, but I'm going to kind of get into some of the context and the background of this but Look with me there to Numbers uh, chapter 32, and I would like to start in verse 20. The Bible says there, Numbers 32 and 20, Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord, until he had driven out his enemies from before him. And the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I think probably all of us have, um, parents, you probably have told your children that. And um, you may have said that. Uh, be sure your sin will find you out. And um, I, I pray tonight. I'm going to stimulate your heart. And I have prayed that um, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I believe when they work, I generally believe it's not with a lot of fanfare. I think the Lord just works gently with the church. And after it's all said and done, we turn around and we think, man, the Lord touched us. I pray that tonight in this congregation that the gift of faith would operate in every one of your hearts and your lives. Let's pray and ask the Lord uh, to touch His Word here tonight. Our gracious God, Your presence, Lord, is here. I feel, Lord, a Lord always a sense of reverence and honor. I pray, Lord, that we give that to you. And I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you would prepare our minds and our spirits. Lord, free us from distractions. 
help us, God, somehow, Lord, to let our own lives, God, be challenged. I ask you that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for, for standing. I have, uh, <clears throat> last several weeks, I have been preaching through what I have uh, called the Upper Room Principles, John 13, 14, 15, and uh, 16. I'm going to continue to uh, do some of that. However, uh, this past week, I just um, very strongly impressed uh, with this message, and so I'm going to uh, preach it sort of, I guess, out of sync, standalone message, but tell you how my mind was stimulated toward this. I was over in the student building and um, was working over there for, it was Thursday, and uh, several hours over there, and uh, pretty much alone most of the time. And um, I listened to preaching. I, 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 um, I would, I just... I just think that's probably what I need to do, but I listen to a lot of sermons. I'd say probably 25 or 30 a week, and uh, various places, various uh, voices, and uh, so on Thursday morning, I um, found a couple of messages, and they were sort of attached in a chain, and I listened to four of those, and I listened to one of them twice. Uh, the first two started out with the five warning passages that you find in the book of Hebrews. I don't know if you're aware, but there are five warnings uh, that are given to us there in the book of Hebrews. And then closely attached to those sermons, there were uh, two other sermons, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, if you know about Romans 6. Uh, you know that that talks about the mortification of the flesh and uh, putting your flesh, as one of the old Puritans said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 6. And then in Romans 7, a lot of debate, a lot of things that is talked about in that passage. Some say that that's Paul in an unconverted state. Others say that that's him in a converted state. I'm not going to get into that uh, tonight. But, but again, while I listen to those messages, I have to say my mind was very much stimulated uh, as to where my own spirit, my own heart was. And uh, I, I, as I listened to those messages, I started... Uh, some of the scriptures prompted me towards some of the books that I have had, uh, some of the books I've had for pushing on 30 years. I know uh, who gave me those books. I'm sentimental, and I've appreciated gifts. One of those books I thought about was one that was written by Thomas Watson, The Mischief of Sin. I've had that book for right at 30 years. Brother Lewis gave that to me a number 30 years ago. Uh, John Owen, another book, The Mortification of Sin, uh, another book written by a man by the name of Ralph Venning, uh, The Sinfulness of Sin, and then another book called by Jeremiah Burroughs, and 
that book is the evil of evils, and people would say your mind must be morbid, you reading uh, that sort of thing. But I would just tell you here tonight that the more that you read uh, the Word of God, then the more that you begin to realize how frail and how weak that your flesh really is, and there is no way for us to make it outside of totally leaning on the Spirit of the Lord. And then there was another book by a more modern author, and I remember, again, years ago, a book that was given to me uh, by this man. I don't know him, but uh, Richard Exley wrote a book called The Perils of Power. He wrote that book shortly after all of the disaster with uh, Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker and the implosion of the PTL network. Some of you may remember that back in uh, the late 80s. And I read that book, very, very provoking book that I think that, that all preachers probably ought to read. But he's got another book that I read back in the mid-90s called Deliver Me, and it deals with the matter of temptation. Whenever I was listening to those messages there in my mind, I started questioning and wondering whether or not that the Pentecostal movement really takes sin as seriously as what they did a hundred, 120 years ago. And I wonder if we have not gotten too comfortable with sin. And I wonder if... Um, that we are far more welcoming sometimes of those uh, sins and our, our toleration of them, uh, I would say that, that it probably thrives in more people's lives than what they're willing to admit. And a lot of times when a preacher stands up and starts to try to flag down and preach toward that direction, there are uh, alarmists or people that want to resist against that voice. Sin, if you don't understand it, here's what it will do. It will drain the power of the Spirit out of your personal life. I would also tell you here tonight that, that sin in itself diminishes the work of conviction whenever a preacher begins to open up the word of the Lord and begins to preach. If your life is full of sin, that word hardly even makes it to first base for what you are longing to hear. Sin, it will deaden your conscience so that your conscience is not able to stand up and to provoke. I preached a message a number of years ago about the greatest preacher in the world, and the greatest preacher in the world is your conscience. That is the greatest preacher that we have that is available uh, to us. Sin weakens our souls so that we are not able to discern between what is good and what is evil. Sin hinders the fear of eternal damnation. And sin, it will literally wound the Lord Jesus Christ all over again as what the apostle said that we crucify the Lord afresh. Those are just some of the things that sin does in our lives. Some quotes tonight that I want to share with you about sin. You have to know this. Your sin will find you out. You cannot afford to cover up your sin. 
One of the old Puritans, Richard Alline, said it like this. He said, sin is the insurrection and rebellion of the heart against God. It turns from him and it turns against him. It runs over the camp of the enemy and there it takes up arms against God. Sin is a running from God and a fighting against God. Thomas Manton said it like this. He said, sin reigns where it is not resisted. And then Samuel Clark said it like this. He said, sin is the spawn of the old serpent. It's the birth of hell and it's the vomit of the devil. And then Thomas Watson, out of that little book, The Mischief of Sin, says it like this. Sin stops the mouth of prayer and sin clips the wings of prayer that it will not fly to the throne of grace. Those are some quotes by men that lived in the 1600s, but there were prior to that, there were men that described it in the Word of God and they described it in this way and in this manner. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. James chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And then the pattern of sin. Maybe one of you young men could take this and and uh, take this verse and, and just maybe I ought to assign it to one of y'all here tonight and tell you to preach on it. In James chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15, this is the progression of it. Here is what James writes. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Psalm 66 and 18, very provoking because we ought to all take heart and know what the psalmist said. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you realize that engagement with sin causes your prayers to not be heard by the Lord? And then in Psalm, or Isaiah 59, verses 2 and 3, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. For your hands, they're defiled with blood, and your fingers, they are dripping with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue hath muttered perverseness. That is the picture of just a very few scriptures of what it describes there as sin. 
But whenever you get to the book of Numbers, this scripture that I read to you here tonight, if you've read through the book of Numbers, you know that there's times where it indeed is Numbers. It's almost like that, that Moses is, is writing, and he is. He's, he's talking about a census, and he's numbering there the tribes and the people of Israel. Scattered throughout that, there are some uh, historical accounts of some of Israel's wanderings there that are told uh, in his words there. And, and in fact, these verses that I read to you here tonight is pulled from one such of those stories, and we'll get to that here uh, in just a few minutes. But there's something else that you find in the book of Numbers, and that is gives rise to something called the types. A type is something called maybe a metaphor or a symbol or if you want to use it like this, it's, it's a picture, it's a reference of something that is written about in the Old Testament that it will see its fulfillment that will take place in the New Testament. And, and you say, well, what uh, do you mean by that? Well, the death of our Lord is given to us in the book of Numbers in a couple of instances, the red heifer. Uh, there in Numbers chapter 19. And then I think probably most of you know about the brazen serpent. That is one of the scariest stories that you read about. That's in Numbers chapter 21. And because of Israel's uh, disobedience, the Bible tells us that those snakes, that he's let them run out there through those people there. But there was a remedy. And you remember the remedy was that there was a brazen serpent that was lifted up on a pole and, and Moses told him that if you just look in that direction you're going to see and you're going to have healing and you will be saved from that that bite of that serpent there that did obviously point to the death of the Lord and pointed there to the role at Calvary but we also find the resurrection of the Lord because the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 17 that there was a rod that Aaron had and the Bible tells us that that rod it budded and then when it budded, now you gotta you gotta understand this. And people say, "Oh, I don't believe that." Well, it's in the word. I believe uh, what Moses writes and describes. But he says there in number seventeen, he said there was a dead rod; it was lifeless. But there, whenever Moses and Aaron's leadership was challenged in a very short period of time, the Bible tells us that that rod budded out, and that there were almonds that began to grow there in that. That is a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one other one that I would like to visit before we get uh, to our message. Long introduction, but the rest of it will be somewhat quick. So I'll give you a little bit of hope with that. Uh, but, but the security of the Lord is seen there also in the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 35, Moses uh, tells us about those cities of refuge. There are three that are on the west side of the Jordan River, and then there's three of them that are on the east side of the Jordan River. In the event that there was perhaps a, a uh, person that was accidentally killed by another person, that man or that woman could run to that city of refuge, and they would be 
able to not fall to the hand of the avenger that was there. And, and all of those six cities, they mean something. It's a great Bible study if you want to sometime just take a look at that. But, but those are some of the types that you find there in the book of Numbers. But the story that I read to you here tonight, or the verses that I read, it tells us again about another type. It talks about a picture of a worldly believer. It, it sort of paints a picture. You may have heard the description to say that that is a carnal Christian. And the longer I live, I'm not so sure that there can be such thing as a carnal Christian. It's probably a self-deceived person that thinks that they are saved, but they're really lost because they have deceived themselves. But there's characteristics that you find in a worldly believer's Live obviously worldly, but they're carnal and they're fleshly and they're immature and they're prayerless and they're self centered and self absorbed and they do not have any purpose and there's no hunger for the word, there's no desire for prayer. Uh, there, there is worship to them is nothing more than just a spectator event that they find themselves involved in and, and uh, more than likely they're either a tear or they are a goat and I have mentioned to you before that there are four unique and individual people that is in a congregation. You've got shepherds. You ought to encourage them. You've got sheep. You ought to feed them. You've got goats. You shouldn't entertain them. And you've got wolves. You better kill them. And those are the four that generally you find in a congregation. But here it is that we read this story here in the picture that is here in Numbers 32 is the tribes. There's three tribes, Reuben and Gad and then half of the tribe of Manasseh there. And so they make a request early there in Numbers 32, the first five verses, you begin to see that, that they ask Moses, Moses, can we live on the eastern side of the Jordan? That means that they did not want to go over to the other side of the Jordan and so it was Moses reprimanded them starting in verse 6 through 15 for wanting to stay back and not to help their brothers to fight and to battle therein, there in the promised land and so Moses come along and, and he confronts them and he tells them he says I'm going to tell you this that, that if you don't follow through then what you're going to do is you're going to discourage your brothers because you are not providing them with the help that you need to provide them with. And so he told them, he said, I'll just tell you this, frankly, uh, this is the same sin that angered the Lord 40 years ago whenever we got here and your fathers that have all failed in the wilderness and died this is their problem they did not want to move over into the land of promise and so they seemingly reluctantly decide that, that what they want to do is they, they want to say well Moses we'll help uh, them if you will let us come back over here and stay on the other side of the Jordan and so that's what Moses did does and, and we read it there in that verse that he tells them. He said if you don't live up to your commitment then here's what's going to happen. Your sin ultimately is going to find you out. 
One of the deterrents that Paul mentioned in uh, his New Testament epistles was this. He said that knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I would just tell you that there are times that fear can be a very useful thing in our walk with the Lord. That, that, uh, and I would just say this, as I, as, as I have gotten older, and I think probably the, the case with most of you elders here, that if you uh, are honest with yourselves, that whenever you were younger, you would look around at that spiritual failures, and there'd be a little bit of a, uh, maybe you wouldn't voice it, but inside there'd be a little bit of a, uh, uh, maybe smugness, I don't know that that's the right word to use, but uh, you would look at them and you would say, I'll tell you what, I, I, I can see how they fail. I can see how that they have gotten into that place that they're at. As, as I've gotten older, I'm going to tell you, I've observed people backslide and I have, have seen it among saints and I've seen it among ministers that some of them would, would be in a place of security and salvation and, and yet they backslid out in to the world and some of them are still in a place of apostasy as I get older I look at that and I think oh dear God I, I could be in that same place except for the grace of God that is actively working in my life I believe that that's the best attitude that you can have but there are times whenever we ought to be fearful of falling out of the way there and so Moses comes along and he begins to caution these tribes. He said, there's two things that I want to caution you about. And first of all is, is that there's an unfaithfulness to the duty that the Lord has called you to be involved in. And then the second one is this, is that he preferred, they preferred, preferred instead of executing the work of the Lord, they preferred a place of ease and comfort. Rest. It's not my battle. It's not my fight. I don't want to get involved in that. In both of those traps, not only could the tribes of of uh, that Moses was addressing there, not only could those things be something that they fall into, but it could be very much for a modern New Testament church that they could fall into that same trap as well where that there is an unfaithfulness and ease that would tempt every one of us. What was required of Israel for them to get into the land, into the promised land? There, there obviously you read about it in the book of Joshua. There was a fight. There was a battle that was going to take place there. And what is required of a New Testament saint of God, it is a spiritual fight when the kingdom of darkness that we have to make sure that we keep that in the forefront of our minds. I'd ask you here tonight, can we even hope to conquer enemies without some kind of effort that is being extended toward what God would have us to be? Or, or will God drop our enemies without our agreement and just say, oh, you, you don't have to do anything. I'll, I'm just going to drop your enemies there. And, and then the third thing that I would ask is the, is the prize that we're striving for. Is it worth the battle? I want to tell you this. The longer I travel and the longer that I move toward the, the, 
toward the uh, heavenly home. I'm just going to tell you this, that the prize is worth it. The prize for the high calling of God, it is worth it. It will be worth everything you invest. It'll be worth every sacrifice, every prayer. It'll be worth everything that you're involved in. Don't ever let the devil tempt you to say it's not worth it. And so the question is this, is what in the world would be a lesson for us tonight to draw out of this story? I uh, want to read Numbers 32, 23 to you out of some different translations. Uh, two translations and one uh, paraphrase. Uh, the New Living Translation says it like this, but if you fail to keep your word... Then you will have sinned against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin, it'll find you out. The Christian Standard Bible says it like this, but if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord. Be sure your sin will catch up with you. And, and then for all of the derogatory marks that has been made toward poor Eugene Peterson and, and the message, I over the years have enjoyed reading the message. It is a prayer paraphrase very similar to the Living Bible that came out in the early 70s, but he writes it like this, but if you don't do what you say, you will be sinning against God and you can be sure that your sin will track you down. I, I think that far too often in our lives that uh, that again and 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 trust me I, I didn't have this is not the crock pot message of of crock pot preparation this is kind of a microwave slot because I didn't start working on this till uh, late Thursday night which is not I try not to make it my normal practice but I couldn't get away from that matter about what my thoughts were about sin. But but here's the thing. I think that that far too often that that most of the time that, that I have a tendency to classify sin in places that I never go. And I think probably be safe to say that you do the same thing. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look in Galatians 5. And verse 19, and when I read this, this is familiar, you, you know, you may not remember the reference, but you, you know what the content is, and here's what Paul writes, he says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now do you see the description here? Do you, you see what Paul has written? Paul, is, he summed it up pretty good. He's described sin. He said adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, rash, trice, seditions, heresies, and so forth. And here's what I do. That's sin and I'm not involved in that. I feel pretty good about myself. I'm not doing any of that. 
I, I feel good, Brother Shane, Ulrey. I feel good about myself. And, and, uh, but the more you read the Bible, I prayed for you last night. And uh, I, uh, I don't want this on the. Forgive me. Talk to just the people that's here for a minute. back in on us again oh no it's not even nearly like that and and uh, sister Laura and sister Emily I told you to come on after I read this but I'm feeling a little lengthy spirit getting on me so I'll just wave I told them after I get through reading this that the landing lights was I was coming in for a landing but I feel inspiration and it may take me just a little bit but and feel pretty good. I'm not involved in these things, the works of the flesh. But, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and he can't see far off and he's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins and wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you shall never fall for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though ye know them and be established in the present truth Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up 
by putting you in remembrance. And here's where that we are at sometimes, a lot of times faithful, good solid saints of God. They're more known for what they're against than what they're for. We have a tendency to shy away from the fact that there are things that God desires to add to our lives. And as I prayed last night, I started just trying to break out of that matter that, that Lord, that there's times where I have got to shake free of things that I'm going to call them sin. You classify them what you want as. But, but, but I started praying this, not walking in my God-given authority because I let the devil buffalo me. That, that's where I get sometimes and, and not fulfilling my position of powerful apostolic praying because it can be hard work and not pressing in with worship whether we feel like it or not because too many times we let our worship be dictated by our circumstances. I'm trying to free my soul of that and I'm trying to walk in this place and worship God whether I'm up or whether I'm down. That's not called hypocrisy. That is called commitment and that there is an unerring focus that says that my bank account, my personal relationship, the challenges that I face in life, they have no dictation over whether I can open my mouth and sing or whether I can lift my hands and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, and then this is a big one, succumbing to battle fatigue that surround us. And all of us at times get that way. You're punch drunk. You walk in here and you're like, oh dear God, the battle has, has gotten a hold of me. But church, understand this. The reason you have battle fatigue is because we don't understand the war, larger war that's going on above us that we cannot see. But there are promises of authority. And I'm going to get to those here in just a few minutes. But there's something about it that there's times where that we succumb to battle fatigue. We sometimes can slip off into a state of depression because our expectations of this very limited life is so jaded. And so we get depressed because of our job situation or because of an address where you live or a vehicle that you drive or clothes that you wear and you get on Facebook or Instagram and whatever. I would just say get off of that ungodly mess because here's the deal. All it does is just creates discontent in your life and everybody's smiling. Everybody's got their best clothes on. They're eating in the best restaurants. That's not real life. There's times where it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on paper plates with a little bit of tea and some stale potato chips. That is what real life is. It's not laying open a sirloin or a T-bone or filet mignon there. That's not what life is really all about. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you so depressed and to think, dear God, I, I, I'm not like everybody else and I'm not keeping up when the Joneses hear me. If you've got eternal salvation and you've been born again, there ought to be something on the inside of you to get your hands up and says, oh Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done. 
in my life. Here's, here's another one. I believe this is sin, not allowing our minds to be saturated with Scripture because of the distractions that our world pushes in front of us, falling into the trap of small-mindedness because we can't see the bigger picture of what the Lord is trying to do and is trying to work out, not filling our days with worship-inspiring music that points us toward the Lord. Now, I realize, and I thought about that I thought well when you was working at the hospital and you was having to listen to soft rock or whatever here, here's the thing that sometimes sweet home Alabama and whoever sings that can get to working in your mind and in your spirit because you're exposed to that on a day in and day out pl- uh, basis but here's the deal as soon as you exit that place you ought to get some music that is godly and reverent and that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ and say Lord get all of that stuff out of my mind and my spirit. What about this? Settling into a place, a comfortable position of past accomplishment because we don't know and realize that God calls us to a faithfulness that we cannot turn loose of until we are called home. Not walking in our God-given potential because we bury our talent. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about things that that the Lord said that through Moses, that Moses said, if you don't do this, you be careful because your sin, it will find you out. Refusing to develop into what the Lord has uniquely called you and I to do because we're trying to fit in to the calling that somebody else has in their lives or by allowing habitual sins to sear our conscience so that whenever we can no longer really perceive the moving hand of God and yet we think and minimize those things don't really matter. They're, they're so harmless. But hear me, small sins are like kittens. They're going to grow up and they're going to be cats. And your house is going to be overrun with cats. And, I, and I, I'm not throwing off on cat people. I'm just telling you that they reproduce. And that's the way whenever people try to manage the sin in their life, they always come up short by that. By letting our past have victory over us because here's the thing it's not the people around you that's bringing up your past it is that internal voice that the enemy starts using and begins to talk about you did this and you did that oh I pray tonight that you would somehow find a release from that and know that God has washed you white and God has cleansed you by his blood and there is a purpose that God God has in your life and in your spirit. And then maybe the last thing is that we forget the absolute atoning nature of the work of the cross. Now how does that happen? It's because the devil hates forgiveness of sin. And if he can get you to a place where that you forget and you somehow throw out and minimize the power of the cross, then he's there in that place that he wants you to get at. We forget sometimes that matter of divine nature. <laughs> 
that's on the inside of us. And I pray that there's not people here tonight that you're guilty of the works of the flesh that Paul mentioned there in Galatians 5. But I got a feeling that this list that I just shared with you here tonight, that there's more than one or two, beginning with the man in the pulpit, then there's times where that we slump off into that. I want to preach tonight, and I want the gift of faith to operate here in this house to tell you who you are and what God's got in mind for your life. I'm not talking about a bank account. I'm not talking about a nice wardrobe or a new car. I'm talking about an eternal purpose. I'm talking about somehow that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to fill you with authority and fill you with faith so that you can do what he's called you to do. And so what does that look like? And I'm not going to read these scriptures, but I'll give you the references. Ezekiel 36, 25, 27, power to walk in his commandments. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, power to have a cleansed life for holiness. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, power of an internal inheritance, or eternal inheritance. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5, power to break imaginations and strongholds that exalt themselves against God in our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 through 15, power over charlatans. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 16 through 33, power even in the middle of suffering and sacrifice. Luke chapter 22 and verse 40, power over temptation. Matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13, power to be delivered from evil. Psalm 94 verse 14, Psalm 94 and verse 22, power to be protected. Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, power to overcome the enemy completely in your life and in your spirit. And when I am not walking in that kind of power and that kind of authority, my sin will find me out. Sister Emily, Sister Lauren, and whoever else. Oh, I was singing last night. Oh, I had this thing on a loop, Brother Adam. I had, I'm, I'm telling you now, y'all are going to sing and it's going to be good. But I'm telling you, it doesn't even get near to what my majestic voice was doing in here last night while I was praying. Oh, Jesus. I was praying and, and uh, I, I don't, I don't, I'll just be out when I get to speaking in tongues, I get out the mic, okay? Good, bad, indifferent, whatever y'all want to call. But I'm telling you, I started up in that study up there and, and got down and I was in the hallways and in this sanctuary and just the power of God was present and evident here in this house. And here's what I started praying for myself. And I started praying for you as well.
God help us to rise to the occasion and the close of this dispensation of time. Oh God, help our church to walk in spiritual authority. Oh God, may our lives be a blessing to others and not a curse. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ, may my worship not be dictated by my feelings. Oh, our Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, help my mind to be completely shielded with holiness and sobriety and vigilance. Oh, God, may your holy presence consume every bit of the chaff and the waste that's in our lives. Oh, God, by your spirit, Spirit, fill my mouth and fill the mouths of the people here with powerful words of faith. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of all, help us to cast off the unfruitful works of darkness. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ, clothe us completely in your armor. You moved mountains, told the wind and the waves to be still. You cast out demons. You bid the empty soul to be filled. Now there's breakthrough. Now there's freedom in your name. You gave us power. You gave us keys to do the same. The same. You hold redemption. You made accusers drop their stones. You showed us mercy. And now there's breakthrough. There's freedom in your name. You gave us power. You gave us the keys to that power. Now we proclaim in Jesus' name. Walls fall down in Jesus' name. Strongholds break. Now we proclaim.